Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, my father-in-law's secretary reached out to me and asked if I knew anybody that could officiate a wedding. And I said, I happen to know somebody. It's me. I can do it, right? And so she made the arrangement, and, and I started to talk with the couple. We felt like it was a good fit. And so we, we, they had their date already set, and um, it was a few weeks ago. And so we, we were going in that direction, and it's on a Saturday. Well, some of you know that we've been getting a lot of rain here lately. And this couple was from Texas. They were flying into California, you know, and so they, they, there wasn't a lot of uh, flexibility, or, you know, they, they had to rely on other people to adapt. Well, sure enough, that Saturday comes, and it was the Saturday where we had like flash flooding. And I'm like getting in my car, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm about to step into, right? And so I get over there, and they had this wedding planned. It was supposed to be outdoors in Chino Hills, like in some equestrian, you know, field. And they had to basically uh, adapt and pull all of that stuff and stick it into this kind of like banquet hall. And, and so I get there. I'm not like, I'm not sure what's going on. I have this old big golf uh, umbrella. I had that, and I'm, I, I looked at the bride. I was like, you probably need this more than me today. Right, so handed that to her uh, before she made her way into uh, the building, and you know there was a lot going on, but we we made the best of what we had, and and uh, they ended up like having having a great uh, ceremony and, and a great day, and and I I told them the most important thing that's going to happen here today is that as long as you two walk out of here married, then I did my job, right? But they had a great time and a great experience, and apparently it was such a great experience that uh, I've never had this happen before. I'm sitting at the table and the groom's father walks like walks over to me and uh, the groom's father is a is a police captain in Whittier and he walks over to me and he kind of tells me how much how great it was and how thankful he was and then he went to shake my hand and as we shook hands there was something in his hand there was this like green little piece of paper in his hand and so I, I, I looked at it really quickly and I didn't know what to do and so I just put it in my pocket as fast as I could and I thought oh you just had we had just done a deal or something right with the the, the captain of the Whittier police force. And, uh, you know, I went on, went on about my way. I was really very grateful for that. Well, about a week later, apparently uh, they appreciated it so much that I got a card in the mail from the, the bride's mother, and it was very grateful for all that she had done. And I opened up this card, and sure enough, there was another green little piece of paper in there. And so I took that thing. I was in my own kitchen. I looked around, and I put it in my pocket, right? Like I had just done something great, right? Like maybe my wife was watching. I don't know. I put that in the pocket, right? And, and, but you know what's funny? All along the way, I was grateful for it, but all along with these kind of like uh, unexpected gifts that I received, you know what never crossed my mind? I never, I never thought, wow, I could take my wife out on a great dinner. I, I didn't think, wow, like, you know, my, my brother, he could probably use some, you know, some help. I never thought about how maybe this wasn't for me, but maybe it was for somebody else. And, and, and this was my assumption. I just assumed if it came to me, it must be for me, right? Have you ever done that before? That you got something that was unexpected and you just started to assume, well, if it came to me, then it must be for me. Has anybody ever been in the laundromat before? And you're doing laundry and you, you know, you're pulling
pulling out the pockets, you know, make sure there's no pens or anything in there. And then all of a sudden you notice that there's like a little green piece of paper in that pocket, right? And what do you do? You look around, make sure no one's looking and you put that in the pocket, right? Because you start to think, wow, God is so good, right? He, he loves me so much. He wants to bless me. That's, that's what it looks like. You were at the gas station and you put, doing your pump, sitting there, leaning against your car and out of the corner of your eye, you notice another green little piece of paper, a little $5 bill. And you think, hallelujah, I knew God wanted me to have that two for four Red Bull, right? Right? And, and God forbid we ever get home in, in that paper sack, you know, food, and we notice there's an extra sandwich, and we just think, God is so good, right? Why is it that we have this, like, assumption that we believe that whatever comes to me, it must be for me? Why is it that we do that? Well, I'm going to give you the answer, and you're probably not going to like it. But it starts with this word, or it begins with the letter G, and it's the word greed. Greed. Oh, pastor, come on. I'm not a greedy person. I didn't call you a greedy person, right? But it's this word greed. Whenever we assume something's coming to us, it must be for us. And here's the thing, is that Jesus actually made a big deal about the word greed. He, he actually is what we're going to look at. He, he actually stopped the, the train so that he could tell this story about this person and, and, and how they dealt with this issue and actually what it ended up costing their life. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, that's not something I deal with, I just want you to hang in there and hear, hear what Jesus has to say. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. And I'm going to give us some context for this verse uh, because it's like one of my, one of my favorite stories because I can just imagine, I can just imagine Jesus getting ready to, to like teach or give this story. And now in the context, before we jump into it, Luke records uh, that Jesus had becoming increasingly popular to the point where more and more people are starting to show up, crowds of people are starting to show up because they want to hear what this rabbi has to say. He apparently is teaching with such authority and such passion that he just like grips the listener and so more and more people are showing up because they want to hear what he has to say. And as he's like diving into the to the deep truths about God. Now think about this for a moment. Think about this. What if you were in the crowd that day and God is in and Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the son of God, he's like teaching. I mean, would you not just have your phone out, writing as many notes, like just writing down as much stuff as you you're just like soaking it in, soaking it in. I mean, he's just laying it on, talking about the deep truths of God. And I mean, this is the person who laid the foundations of the earth, right? Just soak, 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 soak. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, there's this guy. And he yells out, says, hey, all that stuff is good, but, but I need you to do something for me. I need you to tell my brother to share our family inheritance with me. Look at this in verse 13. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus replies to him, he says, man, which, isn't that kind of funny that Jesus says that? It's like, listen, man, man, 
Who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between you? Now, pause for a moment, just some brief context. In their day, the rabbi or the, or the pastor of the day would have been called in to, to settle these kind of disputes, to, to settle financial and, and legal disputes. Can you imagine uh, if you're having some problem with your, problems with your taxes and you said, hold on. You need to call your accountant? No, actually, I need to call my pastor. I'm going to bring him on, in on this. And so that was not uncommon. But he says, hey, who, who says that I'm the arbiter in this thing? And then he goes on. He says something interesting. Then he said to him, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out. Right? When, you, when would you say, watch out? When someone needs to watch out, right? He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of Greed. Now think about this for a moment. We're going to unpack this. Jesus, son of God, best teacher ever, right? If he's teaching all these kind of things and then all of a sudden he uses this as a teaching experience for all the listeners, he says, watch out. And there's an exclamation point, meaning Jesus raises his voice. And, you know, maybe he was teaching and he was kind of like sober and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden he says, watch out. And then he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, we need to unpack this word for a moment, the word greed. When you hear the word greed, how would you define greed? What, what would be some words that you would use to define greed? Yell those out. What was it? Selfish. Selfish. Great. What else? Stingy. Great. What else? Maybe a better question, rather than trying to define it, is what, what uh, pictures do you associate with the word greed? Money, Scrooge McDuck, right? Like swimming through all the gold coins. All of us that watch that cartoon will never forget Scrooge McDuck, right? How about this? Some of you aren't going there yet, but how about this? When we think about greed, we think about Wall Street. When we, we think about politicians, we think about big corporations, whatever that is. And here, here's what I want to paint. When we think about greed, we often don't think about us, we think about them. We think about this big thing over here, like this group of people, they're greedy, and this is why this, this thing is greedy, and, and corporations, blah, 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 whatever the media tells us, we just, we just shout it out. Like, that's what, that's what greed is. Well, here, here's the challenge, and here's my question. Who gets to decide what is enough? So Webster defines greed as this. I, I didn't read the definition. It says this. Webster says that it's a selfish and excessive desire of more of something than is needed. And I don't have a problem with that definition. I believe that that's, that's a good definition. The problem is who gets to decide what is enough? Who gets to decide? Does, the, does Twitter get to decide what's enough? Does Instagram get to decide what's enough? Does social media get to decide what's enough? Does your mother-in-law get to decide what's enough, right? Who, who gets to decide those things? What if I was the one that got to decide how much, you, how much food you had in your house today, sir, right? Would you like that? Would you enjoy that? Oh, you maybe, uh, maybe I've made good decisions for you, right? There's the point. When we start to think about it, not as, as, a, as a them issue, but a me issue, then we have a problem with whoever is just telling us how much is enough. Who decides what one needs and deserves? Who decides not only what is needed, but when someone has had enough? And how do we know when too much is too much? Now, there's a great definition that comes from this pastor out of Georgia. His name's Andy Stanley. 
And he defines greed this way. He, he, he calls it the consumption assumption. The consumption assumption. The consumption assumption is this. That it's all for my consumption. It's the assumption that whatever comes to me must be for my consumption. If it comes to me, then it must be for me. Whoa, 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 pastor. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Because with that definition, it stops becoming a a them issue and it actually becomes a me issue. I'm a pastor, I've been, I've been pastoring for the last 10 years, I have a master's degree in divinity, I've been following Jesus, I, gave, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus when I was seven years old at a VBS in a dog catcher outfit, because it was costume day, right, I remember that vividly, right, even me, just weeks ago, got two extra pieces of paper that I wasn't expecting. And the last thing on my mind was, what could I do with this extra to be a blessing to somebody else? Because I don't think that I have a greed issue. That is big corporations. That's somebody else. That's the Kardashians problem, right? (laughs) Not me. But when you begin to see it differently, when you begin to see this definition... That greed isn't just a them issue, it's a me issue because when I assume whatever comes to me must be for me, then that's the issue. And here is why Jesus says, watch out, watch out, be on guard. Watch out, be on guard. Now, I want to, I want to, illustrate this point uh, as best I can because in, the, in the, the word or whatever they use, you know, we can kind of b- bypass it and be like, okay, oh, yeah, Jesus told me to watch out. I need to be on guard. Got that lesson. Let's move on to the next one. But what it means is that it's this, it's this uh, continue, like, continued vigilance of, of, of keeping yourself between it and that thing. Now, how many of you, how many of you here, as uh, we entered into March, how many are, are March Madness fans? Are there any March Madness, like, basketball fans? Like, you know, some of us, some of us are excited. Today's Selection Sunday. It's also St. Patrick's Day, by the way. So happy St. Patrick's Day if we have any Irish folk in the room or the rest of us. We just adopted that for our own, right? But, uh, but, but in March Madness, obviously, it's about basketball. And in basketball, you'll notice that the game is played where there's a person dribbling a basketball and there's a goal but there's a person that is guarding that person and that person is trying to keep the the person with the ball from getting to the basket and if you notice when you watch basketball if for one moment they look to the side they look away they're not paying attention they're not being vigilant that person is just drives right past them and lays it in Unless it's the Lakers and then that doesn't happen right like that doesn't happen right I know I know I know But the point of it in Jesus, the picture that Jesus is drawing here is that of like a basketball player. You've got to move your feet. You have to keep yourself between between greed and where it wants to go because if you don't, it will slide past you and before you know it, you'll be in that space. And that's why Jesus says, watch out. Be on guard. And then he says something powerful, powerful for us this morning. He says that life, listen to this, the teacher, master of the universe, best teacher ever. He says, life is not measured by how much stuff you have. 
He says, your life is not measured by how much stuff you have. Now, how many of you here, you would say, if I could have some more stuff, then I would know. Like if, if, I had, if I had another car, then I would know life isn't measured that way. If I, if I could take another vacation, then I would know life's not measured that way. If I could get to Cancun like two or three times this year, then I would know for sure, right? But Jesus says, your life is not measured by how much stuff you have, regardless of what's on your phone, regardless of what you see on your TV, regardless of how you have been shaped by your culture. Jesus says, Life is not measured by how much stuff you have. And you know what is interesting? I have buried both of my parents at this point in my life, 34 years old. And every time, the most interesting thing happens when we, when we go to bury them. You know what's so interesting about when we've buried my, both of my parents? That they didn't get to take any of the stuff with them in the grave. You ever notice that? You ever been to a funeral? You notice that that person doesn't get to take anything. They actually exit the way that they entered. And this is why Jesus is trying to get anybody's attention that would listen. He said, watch out, be on guard, because this is not something you want to give your life to. Now, here is why this is important. He uses that language because he's trying to warn people against greed so that they don't waste their life. And the way to illustrate this point that he just gave, he's going to tell us a parable. Now, what is a parable? Somebody tell me what a parable is. Short story, great. It's a parable, it's a short story that has a big point in it. And so Jesus tells him, he like punches out this truth. Hey, listen, be on guard, watch out against all kinds of greeds because your life isn't measured by those things. And then he circles back and he's gonna tell a story to illustrate it. And he goes in in verse 16. He says, the ground, everybody say the ground, of a certain rich person yielded an abundant Harvest. Now, very quickly, there's three things I want to point out from this passage that, or this top of the story that Jesus just gave us. The first one is the word ground. Now, what does the ground represent? Jesus is very intentional in how he's telling this story. He tells us the ground was involved in the surplus, meaning that the, that the rich person was not 100% in control of what happened. Has anybody ever planted something here before? Say, yeah. Right? You know that you plant something, you water it, you make sure there's some sun on it, but did you do anything to make it grow? Were you sitting there with your mind powers like this? Grow, money tree, grow, right? No. And this is Jesus' point. The ground represented kind of this like this neutral space where the, the rich person was not 100% involved in helping this thing grow. The point is that there were other factors involved. That led to this increase. Now, he also uh, does something interesting. He, he is describing a person. And what word does he use to describe that person? What's that word? Starts with R. The rich, the rich, the rich, the rich. Jesus is the ground of a rich man. Now, how many of us here, how many of you here, how many of you would say that you are rich? Raise your hand. Those that are rich in the room. Any rich people in this room? Rich people. There are no rich people in this room. That is amazing. I cannot believe this. Every service had at least one rich person, right? Well, let me ask a few questions then. How many of you, you woke up this morning and you had a roof over your head? Raise your hand. Who had a roof? Roof. 
Some, some of you are not raising your hand. I'm, I'm concerned, right? We can talk afterwards, right? We, can, we got some extra rooms, people with extra rooms. We can help out there, right? So most of us, we woke up with a, with a room. How many of you, you, you got up under that roof and you, you went into a separate room and in that separate room, there was this thing you stepped into and then you got your, you know, you took your clothes off and then you, there was like water, that, like hot water. It went over your head. How many of you took a shower this morning, right? You know, uh, that, one, that one's a little more variable of a question, right? Right, but, but most of us, took a shower, right? How many of you, did anybody here ride in, ride in on a horse this morning? Did anybody ride in on a horse, right? I, I don't see anybody, nobody rode in on a horse, okay? Well, how about this? How many of you, how many of you, you like have so much money, you have so much money that it doesn't fit into your pockets, you actually have to take it to this other place and give it to them because you don't have any place to store your money. It's called like a bank account. Does anybody have a bank account? Does anybody have a bank account? Okay, we're not playing as much now, right? We're not so excited about, about this, right? How many of you, you put clothes on this morning? Looks like everybody did. I'm very grateful for that, right? How many of you, you went to a separate room and, and when you went to put on your clothes, you like had choices? How many had choices in there, right? Some of you are like, I have too many choices, but yeah, I had choices. Is, right? And then how many of you that have cars, your car actually actually has its own house? How many of you have, your car has its own house? It's called a garage. Does anybody have a garage, right? Oh, that's so amazing. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, when we start to think about the word rich, it begins to change connotation. And here is the facts. Here's the facts. Statistically, if you make over $32,000, it puts you into the top 1% in the world, in the world. I know we in this country, we're fighting and bickering about who's the top 1% and how they should do more and all that stuff. But you need to hear this, that, these, the, that the statistics are that if you make $32,000, more than that, that puts you in the top percent, 1%, not in America, in the world, capital W. And one in 10 people live off of $2 per day. Who's rich? All of us are. We're all rich. Here's the point. Here's Jesus' point. Because some of us are thinking, yeah, but I'm not as rich as that person. I'm not as rich as my sister. I'm not as rich as my manager. I'm not as rich as my friend. And I want to direct you back to week one. Week one's question was this. God is not going to ask you about your manager. God is not gonna ask you about your sister. God is not gonna ask you about the other person. God is gonna ask each one of us, what did we do with what we had? That's the question. Not other people, not what Kardashians are doing, not what politicians are doing and how the world is so corrupt. He's gonna ask me, he's gonna ask you, what did you do with what you had? Jesus continues. He said, the field of a certain rich person gave an abundant harvest. Now, the rich guy finds himself with more than he needs. He had a good year. The question is, what will he do with the extra? What will he do with the extra? Jesus is going to tell us. Look in verse uh, 17. It says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? Everybody say, what shall I do? Right? What shall I do? I have no place to store uh, my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. That's a good idea. I'm gonna build bigger ones and there I'll store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And can someone say, amen? Right? 
Don't we want to hear God say something like that to us? You have done so good, right? All this extra that I'm giving you is for you to eat and to drink and to be merry. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, we wish the story ended right there. Now, it looks like this guy's being actually very smart. It looks like he's being very industrious. I mean, he got, he got extra, and he's taking that extra, and he's, like, investing it. He's, he's doing something with it so that it can be, so he can be bigger. Pastor, you don't understand. With all the extra that I'm giving, and I'm, I'm increasing, you know, I'm increasing my own thing, later in life, I'm going to be able to do so much more good for more people? No, you won't. No, you won't. Because you know what the answer to more is? More. It's always more. We never feel like we have enough. We're like the person in the story where we think, wow, all of this extra, it must mean that it is for me. Let me make arrangements so that I can live life and take it easy. But the story takes a crazy turn, and that's what you gotta love about Jesus' parables. And verse 20 said, but God said to him, you fool, which by the way, when God says that to you, that is a bad day, right? That's a bad day. You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, what, the, what Jesus is not saying is that God kills rich, greedy people. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is asking, what are you doing with what I have given you? The point of the story is guard against greed so that you don't waste your life. That is the point of the parable. That's why Jesus, I think, got really excited and got really into it because he wanted people to hear him. Guard against this thing so that you don't waste your life. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Jesus tells us right there in the verse. In verse 20, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is how it will play out. This is how it play out in your life. When you wire your life in such a way that it only benefits you, then this is how it will play out in your life. I don't think God's gonna show up and call you a fool and demand something from you. I think it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think you get to the end of your life and you realize, wow, I used up all of this time and all of this resources to get to this point. And this is why Jesus is so passionate. He says, guard against this thing, this thing that you feel like you don't deal with and you don't wrestle with. Guard against this thing so that you don't get to this point and waste your life. But he says something powerful in there this morning. He says, rather be generous. He says, be rich toward who? What's it say? Be toward God. He says, rather be rich toward God. The way that we we guard against this thing is that we are rich toward God. We are generous toward God. Now, notice something very quickly. Notice that he doesn't say, hey, hey, when you are generous towards a pastor. Notice that when he says you are generous towards a church. Notice that when he says, when you are generous towards building, building water wells, you know, someplace else. Notice when you are generous towards a, a parachurch. No, 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 no. Jesus says when we are generous, it, we, it actually gets counted as credit as being generous towards God. 
Now, I don't know what your ROI is on your investments in your life, but can I tell you something? When you invest in God, I believe that that is the most generous ROI you can get when we are generous toward God. Specifically, I wanna invite you into something as we close today and we close this series. I'm gonna have our ushers, ushers are gonna pass out this thing and it's called a, it's called a 90 day giving challenge. It's called a 90 day giving challenge. Now, how many of you, you've ever seen the ice bucket challenge? Say yeah, right? Anybody, ice bucket challenge, right? How, how many of you ever seen like different challenges on, on the internet, all that kind of stuff? Well, we wanna invite you into a different kind of challenge because we believe that there's something better for you at the end of 90 days rather than a cold bucket of water, right? And so we wanna invite you into this. And what they're handing out, and go ahead, I'm gonna have them start handing it out. Those, uh, just raise your hands, grab one from them. Uh, and what it is, is that I'm invite, we're inviting you into a couple of things. Over the next 90 days, because here's the thing, we can talk about this, you can high five me, you can say, Pastor, that was so great. But if it doesn't have any application on our life, then it is, it is, uh, we've wasted our time. And so I wanna invite you into this challenge. What would it look like for you? Let's think about this. 90 days where you're just saying you're making an intentional decision of where you're gonna trust God more with your finances. Now we're handing out cards because we're gonna collect these at the end of the service and I want you to consider what's on here. Now when we collect them, it doesn't mean that Pastor Mike is showing up at your door on Monday morning knocking and say, hey, where's the money? Right, not, it's not happening. It's just so that we can encourage you on your journey, but I, wanna, I, wanna, uh, I want you to seriously think about this. I, I, we want to challenge you because we believe that God has great more things for you on the other end of it. We believe that this is actually how we guard against wasting our life is when we are generous toward God. Now, here's why I wanna invite you into this. I believe that when we are generous toward God, what ends up happening is God ends up being generous towards us. When we are generous toward God, when we are rich toward God, I believe that it unleashes God's generosity in our life. And I know this and I believe this because I've experienced it in my own life. Let me end with this story this, this morning. Uh, one of the things we, you know, we, we teach on the, the different types of giving, uh, tithing, which is this kind of regular um, faithful giving to God where we're saying, God, I trust you on a regular basis. And then we, we also talk about generosity. And, that, and when we say beyond our walls, that's what we mean by that. And a, f- a few years ago, as my wife and I were new to South Hills and new to their language and new to kind of their different initiatives, they, they were teaching and talking about this whole concept of beyond our walls. And some of you know our journey that when I got married, I, I brought in over $100,000 in student loans to our relationship, and, which was not fun and, and not exciting. And, you know, and I've talked about how we've taken Financial Peace University, which if you want to jump into it, you can still jump into it. It's Thursdays at 630. But we jumped into that. And we started to work on this and work on this and work on this. And God was faithful and helped us get you know, all along. And we were almost to the end. Think about this, over $100,000 in student loans. And we got it down to where we were, we were within $7,500, almost, so close. Like I could taste it. I could, I could start to feel the, the grip of the Ford F-150 that I would drive one day, right? Like I, I was so close. But, but I thought, you know what? We, we need to step into this. And we need to step into this in like a powerful way. And so I talked with my wife and she agreed and and we were, we were sending about $2,500 to the student loan every month, chunks of money, 
It's like depressing, right? Chunks and chunks. But I said, you know what? We're, we're all caught up. We're, you know, we're way far ahead. We're way far ahead. Let's write, instead of writing the check to the student loan company, let's write the check to the Beyond Our Walls. So we, we were excited about it. We wrote the check, you know, sent it away. We didn't think anything about it. I wasn't thinking about how this is gonna bless our life. It was something that I wanted to do. About six weeks later, I heard from my aunt uh, who lives in Ohio. And my, my grandmother had passed away a few years earlier. And she uh, wrote in this letter, she said, hey, like, you know, grandma passed and, uh, you know, we've had all kinds of different things, but we finally got her account, you know, her, her uh, thing settled and uh, she had a small inheritance for you. And so we wanted you, to, you know, here's your inheritance. Guess how much it was for? $7,500. We took this step where we said, I'm going to be generous toward God. And God turned around and said, I'm going to be generous toward you. This is how it works. Not only does it guard us against a place that we don't want to go, but it also helps us step into what God has for us. And your God is generous. He is generous. And that's what we want to invite you into. Well, as your comment.